As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, internationals, three teams through now to the next World Cup, but which big nations are sweating their qualifications? Premier League, Newcastle with the handoff smoothly completed. They have experience of that, of course, the Saudis. And the club flogged, uh, ditto. What will happen for FC controversy on field against Spurs in what they're calling the 300 million squid game? That and your Watfords, your Leicesters, your Brightons and all the other big round eight stories, plus your questions and more in this Toby Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. And thank you for joining us. On Thursday, October the 14th, or thereafter, for this show. Not sure who you got in your Totally Today bingo cards, but if the name Duncan Alexander appears, then you can give that one a little tick. Similarly for Dom Fifield. Morning. Morning to you both. And also, this is exciting, Michael Cox. Hi, James. Hi. Welcome back, Michael. Thank you. It's been too long. You've been enjoying a little bit of time away, of course, to reflect on your life decisions after your last appearance when you openly mocked uh, football great Zinedine Zidane. I can't remember that, but it sounds like something I would do. (laughs) (laughs) Did you bring up your Zidane views with with Glenn Hoddle, I wonder? Uh, No, no. Did interview uh, Glenn Hoddle last week, which is on the Mm. the athletic site now. No, we talked about Johan Cruyff, but not about Zinedine Zidane. Where do you stand on Cruyff, Michael? Well, I mean, obviously it was, it was before my time, so I, I can't really offer any particular judgment. But yeah, I mean, it seems to have had as big an impact as almost anyone as a player and a manager. OK. It was, by the way, I really enjoyed uh, your piece with, with Glenn Hoddle and um, the kind of conversational feel of it all. Unlike your take on Zidane, he was a very essential player and these were the, the kind of the most essential bits. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pleased you say that about the conversation because it's quite funny to interview Glenn Hoddle because he's got a very particular way of speaking and it's quite, it's quite tricky to, to make that come out in text and also for it to be readable, if, if that makes sense. Right. Um, so I hope that came across. He, he, mm. he does speak in a very certain way. He certainly does. You, um, you also highlighted the Monaco goal. I have to say it was the Watford one uh, for me, Clive, which, which actually had me, I burst out laughing when I saw it. Huddle with a beautiful piece of skill. What a magnificent goal by Glenn Huddle. He deserves those celebrations. That's the one where he backheels it and then chips it. Is that right? Yes, I, I guess that's the most famous Huddle goal. That's certainly the one I've seen the most. Whereas, the, the, I mean, I'd seen probably none of his Monaco goals. But certainly the last one in there where he beats the same defender three times and then scores from an absolutely crazy angle... I've never seen a goal like that. It's fantastic. Mm. So, yeah, it was fun to talk through that. I think it's a nice exercise, actually, to, to take kind of punditry luminaries and, and actually explore the fact that they previously lit up the screen in other fashions. Should do it with Tony Hibbert. <laughs> Famously never scored, so it would be quite a quick quick exercise. But there would be probably some good tackles in a Merseyside derby. Um, that the reason that Watford goal is so famous is because it was on legendary VHS 101 great goals. So okay. I would say I've probably seen that goal more than 
than many other goals. Breaking news for you there. I did the same with Lineker last year and I showed him a goal that he had no recollection of whatsoever, mm. which I found quite odd because it's... If you type in Gary Lineker goals, it comes up quite mm. quickly. But presumably ex-professionals don't spend their free time going through their own, go- their, you know, the, their greatest moments, which I definitely would, I must say. Right. Um, and, and me too, had I ever had any greatest moments. Uh, but I, that's one of the things actually about the Glenn Hoddle piece available now on The Athletic is that how crystal clear his recollections are of, of these very specific moments from games in the 80s, games in, 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 in Monaco. Uh, I, I found that quite remarkable. Yeah, it seems like often with you know really top sportsmen, Time does seem to slow, doesn't it, when they're doing something great and they do really think through what they're doing at the time. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Has different. that in common with listening to this podcast? Right, listen. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that's enough plugging of Michael's, uh, but, you know, very excellent Glenn Hoddle chat and or Glenn Hoddle's very excellent chat with Michael, whichever way around you fancy it. Internationals, of course, Dom, that's what you're hungry to talk about. So let's quickly round up how things stand after Monday's and Tuesday's latest round of results. Monday, Germany became the first team to join host Qatar at the 2022 World Cup, winning 4-0 in North Macedonia, including a couple of goals from Timo Werner. Qatar, meanwhile, were busy losing 4-0 4-0 to the Republic of Ireland in a friendly in Dublin. Callum Robinson with a hat-trick there. Denmark also sealed their qualification on Tuesday, beating Austria 1-0. The Danes now have won 8 out of 8 and still not a single goal conceded. Scotland won in the Faroe Islands to stay on course for second in that group, but only just another late goal for them. This time it was Lyndon Dykes breaking the deadlock in the 86th minute. Nathan Patterson's cross ball, great ball in, and there is the goal for Lyndon Dykes. That will do nicely. Close but no cigar for the Faroes. Wales and the Czech Republic remain level in second place in Group E after both won on Monday night. But what's this? The Welsh are effectively guaranteed a playoff place anyway thanks to their success in the Nations League. Oh. Uh, Northern Ireland were beaten 2-1 in Bulgaria. Their World Cup hopes officially over now. The host starting not one but two sets of twins, uh, the Christophs and the Sonevs. And England drop points for just the second time in qualifying with that 1-1 draw against Hungary. Crowd trouble involving the away fans this time at Wembley. On-field, it didn't go much better. Uh, England failing to win a home qualifier for the first time in nine years. Crikey. Well, there you go. Uh, Gareth Southgate's side they need four more points, Dom, from Albania and San Marino in November, so they should be all right. Dom, your take on England? They will qualify. Uh, those are two kindish fixtures to end end the group. Um, but the, it was a bit of a I don't know a rude awakening on 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 Tuesday. But sort of back down to earth, it, it, stodgy performance, didn't look themselves. I think maybe the number of changes. I think there are a lot of a lot of those attacking players slightly out of form or slightly adjusting at club level to new surroundings. You could put. Jack Grealish in there. I think Mason Mount's playing his best football at the moment, and it just felt a bit awkward. I'm not. I'm not sure Southgate would have made that t- that sort of bold team selection um, had Calvin Phillips been available to him as well. And England might actually have been slightly more comfortable with Phillips in the in the starting lineup. But I mean, they'll be fine. They'll they'll qualify. But it just just shows that they. Uh, it's a little reminder that they're a work in progress still. The Phil Foden deep line playmaker experiment not so successful against the Magyars. Yeah, but as a deep lying playmaker, you need runners to be running up front, and that that was the issue. Sterling and Kane particularly didn't really look in form, as Dom said, and Grealish was taken off first, which I think everyone felt was a bit harsh. But if you look at the the most passes by England players in that game, Carl Walker with 105, John Stones with 97, Tyrone Mings with 78, and Luke Shaw with 68. So the back four basically had the most passes which is never a, a good sign for a team that's you know attacking on the on the front foot and it it just yeah it did feel um a bit turgid and, and a bit disappointing one of those games michael or are you left feeling a bit uneasy about england's direction it was a poor performance but i don't think we need to go ott i mean england's record in qualification is is pretty good i think you can apply the same thing to kane here he had a poor game no question but he'd just 
completed a run of scoring 14 qualifiers in a row, which is absolutely extraordinary. So I think we can put it down as a bit of an off night. And as Dom says, there's two very winnable games. England only have to get four points. I think it's worth pointing out. I mean, we, we tend to think of all qualifiers as, as pretty much the same, but actually there's a massive difference now between qualifying for the Euros and uh, qualifying for the World Cup. In the last Euros, there were 24 qualification places available because there were no hosts. And now for the World Cup, there's only 13 places available for uh, UEFA. So it's basically twice as hard to qualify for the World Cup than it is for the Euros. And maybe we've become a little bit blasé about that. Because, I mean, since the failure in 2008, England... I don't think England have even had a scare of not qualifying for a tournament. I could Maybe I've forgotten one. But you look at the, the rankings at the moment. I mean, Spain are in a bit of trouble. They need to Spain. beat Sweden in their last game mm. to get through. Portugal are only in second. Italy mm. a joint top. Probably will go through. But England have only wow. got one fewer point than Germany, who, just because of how their group has panned out, have already qualified for the, the tournament. So I think England are, are doing all right. Well, as you say, other countries cannot afford to relax at all ahead of November's games. Switzerland's win over Lithuania means they are now level with European champions Italy at the top of their group, but two goals behind on goal difference, and they'll face each other for first place in November. Sweden now two points ahead of Spain, and they take on Las Rojas in November in another equally huge game. Croatia are going to be taking on Russia in November. That's a pretty much a direct head-to-head as well, as is Netherlands, Norway, and Portugal, Serbia. Crikey, uh, Portugal currently a point behind Serbia, despite their 5-0 route over Luxembourg, which saw Big Ron uh, notching up his 10th hat-trick for Portugal in what is, I'm going to say, a quite extraordinary career. That's I mean, whether you like international World Cup qualifying thing football or not, November's game is going to be absolutely huge. Yep, 25 days until the next international break, and I, I for one, am counting them down. So, uh... <laughs> Right. In the meantime, let's take this opportunity to send our best wishes to David Brooks, the Wales and Bournemouth midfielder, who I revealed this week he's been uh, diagnosed with cancer. He's, in, he's about to start treatment for stage 2 Hodgkin lymphoma. He says the prognosis is positive, but uh, really, our, our very best to him and his family. OK, the Premier League awaits... Top division swinging back into action this weekend with round eight. What does that mean? We'll find out next. So, Mr Klopp, what's been troubling you? Well, it's a very important time of the year, and I'm worried we're not going to be able to get the most out of it. Yeah, there's a lot of big games coming up. Games? No, I'm talking about Oktoberfest. Sauerkraut, Steins, Lederhosen. The one time Germany comes to England, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it can seem like they don't know what they're doing, but with Paddy Power, you always know you're getting Das Beste rewards, like money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Paddy Power. Pretty much bet, but a bet's only min odds one to five per leg, min four plus legs, max free bet ten pounds per day, excludes enhanced match odds on and exclusive T's and C's apply, 18 plus be gambleaware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. All right, before we get on to the Premier League, Duncan, you want to talk about Scotland? Well, I thought we should mention Scotland, the uh, the nation, local derby with the Faroe Islands. Um, you know, form that goes out how the window. Far is it, how, how far is it between the two entities? I don't know accurately, but I'm going to guess... 347 miles. Okay, producer Charlie's just fact-checking that at the moment. What did you want to say about this this game, in which the Fair Islands were objectively quite unlucky not to take at least a point? Yeah, it was. I only really tuned in for the last 20 minutes, and it was one-way traffic, um, like when the Faroes are fishing. But um, the the goal came pretty late. Uh, Lyndon Dykes four four consecutive games he scored in now which is pretty good mm. but yeah I mean obviously as we've discussed at length uh, they needed to win these two games and and just about they did it so they're they've got a, a pretty good chance and yeah I, I would like Scotland to be in the next World Cup so let's hope they make it I've just realised Duncan you've got quite a Scottish name are you a bit Scottish? Not at all but I, people often think I am Scottish yeah um, I'm not sure why my apparently my parents chose between Hamish and Duncan for my name, hmm. so I don't yeah. I don't know why. Maybe <laughs> there we go. Both both nice names. All right, mm. 
Premier League then, round eight. And I'm going to say this is wall-to-wall delights. If you're a fan of appetising storylines, boy, are you going to enjoy this one. There's everything from Newcastle's new owners against Spurs to Watford's new manager, Claudio Ranieri, against Liverpool. You've got Brentford Chelsea, Man United with no Varane or Maguire at Leicester, the David Moyes derby, Everton-West Ham, and also the least competitive fixture in Premier League history, which is that one, Duncan? Well, technically, it's Man City Bournemouth, but that can't happen. So uh, it's Man City Burnley. Yeah. Okay, that that caught me a little bit by surprise. <laughs> what, tell us about Man City Bournemouth then. Well, they've played each other ten times in the in the Premier League, and City have won all ten. So, right, but obviously, okay. Burnley, Burnley don't have a great record going to the Etihad. No. So the last um, four meetings between these two sides at the Etihad have all finished 5-0 to City. City could become, thus this weekend, the first side in English Football League history to win five successive home games by five goals or more against the same opponents. Are they going to do it? They could do. Um, get Ferran Torres in the team. Uh, I mean, obviously, this fixture is also notable for Burnley um, spoiling it a couple of seasons ago with an aeroplane higher. Let's, uh, let's hope that doesn't happen. But yeah, Burnley, I mean, I know we've talked about this as well recently that, that a lot of their numbers this season are, are pretty bad and there's been a couple of seasons where they've started slowly but actually looked OK. But I think this season is looking quite troubling for them. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, it would be unusual to lose 5-0 again, but I don't think you can... Uh, you actually, it be out. quite usual in this case. Well, <laughs> it's never happened before in total flight history, so it's, it's a yin and yang. It's one of those probability questions, mm. isn't it? Anyway, that's Man City Burnley, and that's three o'clock on Saturday, so you can't watch it on TV. What else grabs your attention, though, uh, from the other nine fixtures available? Dom? Well, I've got the pleasure of Brentford-Chelsea on Saturday early evening, which um, I'm really looking forward to, a bit of a West London derby. Um, I just, a couple of things. I mean, Brentford obviously have been a bit of breath of fresh air. Um, they've really taken to the Premier League fantastically well. Um, brought a lot of the swagger and, and style they had in the championship and they just transposed it onto the higher level. Um, but I want to see how Chelsea... I want to see how what, what how they've used the international break. I know a lot of their players will have been absent with their countries and, and playing competitive games, but I think that was a, an opportunity, a fortnight there for Thomas Tuchel to work on maybe a few tactical tweaks... Because things weren't working really in that last period between the international window in um, in September and, and October. Although Chelsea won a few games quite handsomely, they they didn't really play that well. And for a team that's to be top of the table and, and yet almost playing within themselves, it felt a bit of an anomaly. Mm. So I'm, I'm quite I'm quite keen to see how he's used this time and whether we'll see anything that's slightly different in terms of the lineup and how they get the best out of Lukaku and the number tens. Well, listener Srinath uh, Ravamudan asks, are we going to see Lukaku-Werner strike partnership regularly this season? Timo Werner with, as I mentioned before, a couple of goals for Germany against North Macedonia, one of which was an absolute belter. Well, he, he, he did well in the previous international window as well, scored, scored goals for Germany and, and then found himself out of the Chelsea team still when he came back. But just towards the end of the last run of games, Tuchel was showing a bit more faith in him, a bit more. I think it was quite telling that in Turin in the Champions League when they were chasing a game and they they wanted to make clearly quite radical changes, made five substitutions in the second half, including three in one go. He didn't turn to Werner. Werner stayed on the bench. And I think that was maybe an indication of a slight lack of faith from the mm-hmm. management in what he could do. But then, you know, he's, he scored against Villa in the League Cup. He scored against Southampton. And against Southampton, he did what he always does. You know, he missed a load of chances finally put one away I think he does offer something different to them and I think there is something in the whole Lukaku-Werner partnership I mean when Werner had his successful time at RB Leipzig it was playing with 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 Poulsen up up, up top as a as a bigger striker and I, I know Lukaku won't do the same job and he'd be more prolific than Poulsen was but clearly Werner is a, a player that thrives alongside another forward so so maybe it's something that they, they need to explore. Mm could argue the same thing for Lukaku given the way things worked at at Inter mm. uh, not sure if, if if others have strong views on, on that or generally how well you, you see Brentford getting on in this game after beating West Ham last time out and previously drawing with Liverpool 
Uh, what do you think? How do you think they're going to get on this time, Michael Duncan? Yeah, I fancy this to be a good game. I just think Brentford's front two are just always causing problems. They're just so dangerous with with combination play, with balls in behind. I mean, Chelsea have got a couple of issues at the back. They won't have Thiago Silva there. Um, not quite sure what they're going to do on the right. Probably Chalobah might continue in that right-sided centre-back position, which would be him up against Tony, which would probably be his biggest test so far, I guess, as a Premier League defender. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the last Saturday, was it a late Saturday kickoff that was the, the Liverpool game, which was mm. um, probably the best Premier League game I've seen so far this year. So with that and um, a hint of a derby as well, I mean, geographically very much a derby, but it just feels weird for Brentford and Chelsea to be in the same league. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. So first league meeting since 1947, back when Brentford was just a, a tram stop probably in, in <laughs> West London. Duncan, what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, as, as Don was saying, I think Werner does offer something different. He's a bit like a bay leaf in some respects, in that you, you don't know, it improves it overall, but might not ne- necessarily get the, the glory himself. But I think right. it's quite interesting because... Do you use bay leaves? I'm, uh, sorry, I'm going to stop you there. Yeah. What yeah. do they do? Well, they add a little depth of flavour that maybe... You don't eat them, though, do you? You just you, you take no. them out. Yeah. But um, like you take Werner out of a, a team, maybe. But the point I'm trying to make, <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is very expensive Bailey. Yeah, is that it's quite interesting because obviously Werner brought in from the Bundesliga. Tony, um, one of a series of, of Brentford strikers, um, you know, who have come into the Premier League, be that you know with other teams like Watkins, and it's actually a bit of a comparison. So I think. You could almost argue that the the level of the Championship and Bundesliga, obviously not quite the same, but I think in terms of how a, how a striker can come into the Premier League, it's, there's something there. So I'm quite interested to see, you know, I, I thought Tony was absolutely brilliant last season in the Championship. Um, and yeah, it's quite pleasing to see him adapt so well to the Premier League. Mm. One or two questions over the fitness of Lukaku. We drew from... Uh, the Belgian game against the third fourth playoff, I think, with fatigue. Antonio Rudiger also with back problems. Uh, do you do you expect major tactical changes from Tuchel, uh, Michael, ahead of the meeting with the bees? I don't know. It kind of goes back to what Dom said. I mean, I was at the game against Southampton and saw the lineup and kind of had to read it two or three times to get my head around how many changes there'd been. There's so so many other slightly fringe players coming in. I mean, Hudson-Odoi didn't expect to see him start, but I thought he was Chelsea's best player in the first half of that game. So maybe he'll start again. But I think it will be an interesting game. I mean, the, the base system is pretty similar. They, they usually play a three and a four, uh, Chelsea. And it would be interesting to see how Brentford do, whether they match him up completely. I don't know, but um, it should be a fun one, especially with... I th- maybe Brentford have probably had a few players away as well. But I do think if, if you're Brentford and you're playing one of the big sides playing after an international break does give you a little bit of advantage usually. So, yeah, I, I, I think this is a game of the weekend. I'm really looking forward to it. Excellent. Uh, Richard Clark actually, on that note, asked which EPL team has had the fewest players away on international duty this break and will therefore have had sufficient time on the training ground to perfect their tactics for this weekend's fixtures? Okay. I mean, it's got to be Burnley on the basis that, one, their players are all English and, two, the players aren't good enough to play for England, surely. Mm. Well, don't forget Austria and Ashley Barnes, but um, <laughs> that is but true. yeah, Chris was New Zealand. That is yeah, the, that is the most daunting away trip, isn't it? Really, in terms mm. of distance. Well, Liverpool will have had a raft of absences uh, to to contend with, some of which may not be available, depending on what quarantine rules have been made up on the day. Uh, they are at Watford anyway this weekend. Uh, helping a saintly old fellow with a belief in miracles move into the vicarage. Touching story, this one. Uh, Claudia Ranieri. Uh, it looks like a brutal first fixture for our pal Claudio. But, Duncan, the last time they visited Liverpool, mm. uh, you were there and it didn't go their way at all. Yes, it was the, the 3-0 game. Uh, Saar scoring a couple of goals and it was strange because Liverpool started really lethargically in that game and never really got going and as people might remember it was just a week or so before the before the lockdown the first lockdown mm-hmm. and it did feel like a kind of sh- you know shifting of, of paradigms in a, in a way and they were so far ahead they won the league that year but they they didn't look quite as good when they came back and then last season they had that spell and they really didn't 
have any energy and they played quite, you know, as they had at Watford. And I think the big change this season is Liverpool, yeah, they don't look defensively perfect, but they've kind of gone back to the level of pressing and, and intensity that they had maybe in kind of 2017-18 and, and possibly the following year when they, they came close to winning the title. Um, in terms of PPDA, passes per defensive action, so the, you know, the okay. more defensive actions you do to... Uh, opposition passes the, the lower that number and Liverpool are the lowest this season and they were nowhere mm. near the lowest last season so I don't expect a similar game I think Liverpool will be very much on the front foot and I think Ranieri will, will set Watford up um, you know to try and you know keep a clean sheet as long as possible um, obviously famously uh, he offered Leicester didn't he offer Leicester players a, a pizza if they if mm. they kept a clean sheet he's now said I think multiple um, pizzas yeah, not just one piece. That would be quite cruel, I imagine. Um, but uh, he said that he would go further with Watford and give them a dinner uh, oh. if they keep a clean sheet, which I would I would posit that in Hertfordshire, a piece would be seen as dinner. But, um, you know, Claudio... Where would it not be seen as dinner? Well, Rome, clearly, because um, Claudio said it's differentiated between... No, no, no. In Rome, uh, pizza wouldn't be seen as lunch. Yeah, no, but my point is that Ranieri has said, I won't just offer them pizza, I'd offer them dinner. So I see. Okay, mm. like a starter as well. You mean? Yeah, possibly. Mm. Mm. But right. uh, yeah, I expect Liverpool to to be obviously if they're missing Allison and, and Fabinho, that is that is a loss. But um, yes, that's what we've read is is the likely scenario that that Allison and Fabinho, having played for Brazil against Uruguay Thursday night, won't be eligible. But uh, Dom, you think uh, that there's a chance? Well, there's some talk of of a few of the Premier League clubs getting together and hiring a private plane to bring players back from South America. I don't know what that, what that means for, for Bubbles. I, I think Bubbles have gone out the window now. I, I don't, don't understand Bubbles anymore. But, mm. but presumably that's that means that there is a chance that these guys get back in time. You know, whether they'll be physically ready to, to play on, on Saturday lunchtime is another issue. But uh, I think Liverpool would hope that they would get them back. They're so key, those two, aren't they? Alisson and Fabinho in particular. Trent may be returning from injury as well. Michael? I think the interesting thing about this game, or one of the interesting things, is, is not just that Ranieri is coming, but Watford have made a new defensive signing. Um, they brought in Nicholas Nkulu, who I probably haven't seen him play much since he was at Marseille, but he was very good at Marseille. And you obviously don't get many signings midway or part the way through the season because the transfer window's closed. You can only sign free agents. This, this guy left Torino in the summer. And I must say, I mean, some of Watford's defending so far this season, there's been a couple of shocking errors from Sierra Alto, who I think is out injured anyway for this one. And True Stikong has, has looked really poor at times. So they need to improve their defensive record. And um, yeah, you probably won't see many signings within a season that might really transform how a side plays. So I'm quite interested in that. It's a hell mm. of a start for, for Ranieri. The run of games is, is fairly horrific in his first... First eight matches, he's got Liverpool and Everton, uh, and then Southampton, but then Arsenal, Man United, Leicester, Chelsea, and Manchester City. Um, good luck, quite frankly. It's uh, not an easy easy way to to come back into English f- football with his fourth club over it. Well, we talked about least competitive fixtures in terms of goals. City against Watford is uh, three point two per game for City is the is the least competitive. So, yeah, not easy. Mm. Mo Salah's got eight goals in six games against Watford in the Premier League. Just saying. Next up, let's hear about some other games and not just in the Premier League. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that's got to be good news for all you Man United fans out there, eh? Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet, £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And please, gamble responsibly. Michael, can we get some news of the Isthmian League? Home, of course, of your beloved Kingstonian. I mean, two great events in two weekends. Kingstonian's game was called off 20 minutes before the end of the game because, quote, a puddle was obstructing the linesman, which I've never heard before. Um, Who did the puddle? Well, I mean, I wasn't there, but from that report, it sounds like the pitch was just about playable, but the sideline, the linesman was not comfortable running along it. So Um, Podder's Bar uh, were (laughs) 2-0 up with the... Bar Army, I think they're called, celebrating. Yep. But then the game was abandoned and uh, the Potters Bar manager asked the referee for explanation. I asked for the where, what and why and he said the linesman feared for his safety because he was having to run through a puddle. Yeah, so, so that was that was very dramatic. And then... Um, and then I have it, to say, against the backdrop of abuse of uh, officials, you know, we, we shouldn't kind of chuckle at, at, uh, at, at, at you know, said line linesman uh, anyway sorry the other no i completely agree, agree with that but i must say having attended a few isthmian games this year my main mm. conclusion from i mean remember this league basically that there'd only been about 10 league matches over the course of the previous 18 months because everything shut down and i must say the fitness levels of the officials i mean the players have kept themselves in shape but presumably linesmen aren't just practicing running up and down in straight lines and there's a lot of linesmen very much behind play um mm. Or at least they'd float in it, you know, in the puddle. <laughs> Maybe. Contest that. And the other great Isthmian event uh, at the weekend was in Bogner's win at uh, Chesson, where Bogner player got uh, two yellow cards for time-wasting in the same act of coming off as a substitute, which I've never heard of before. Because it's great, because usually they get one yellow card and they think, well, I've got my card, I'm just going to take the mickey here. But apparently the referee followed him to the bench and showed him a second yellow card. And of course, the good thing then is that the substitute wasn't even allowed to come on in his place because the player had been sent off. Incredible. Incredible. Great stuff. Bogner did hold on for a victory in that game. Mm. That's enough Eastman League for now. Uh, Let's head back to the, the other end of the pyramid. Premier League, after a tough week of mental gymnastics and water battery on Timeside, it's tea towels at the ready for Newcastle against Tottenham. This is Sunday at 4.30 uh, and it should be quite an atmosphere. He's gone. (laughs) And it should be quite an atmosphere. Hey, Dom. It will be a great atmosphere, yes. I'm not sure there'll be very much change out on the pitch. Um, right. Not, not well, least. So, some changes, because there's talk of Callum Wilson, John Joe yeah. Shelby, Jamal the Cells all being potentially bat-like new signings, if you will. <laughs> but I'm just thinking with that, that charge up St. James's part, with kind of a decade and a bit of, of anticipation, of repressed hope uh, welling up on, on all sides, uh, what it could mean for the team. Well, they'll yeah. I mean, they'll be they'll be well backed. Let's put it like that. It'll be a good noise. Um, right. But I'm not. Yeah, I'd still suggest that Callum Wilson's return is a major thing for for, for Newcastle. Okay. That's obvious, and he 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 will he will score the goals that will will keep them in the division if he stays fit and his hamstrings stay stay healthy. Okay. Um, who who'll be in the dugout, Tom? Steve Bruce. By the look of things, mm. which. I think will. I don't think it'll temper the atmosphere because, as you say, that they'll they're just celebrating Mike Ashley not being associated with the club anymore. Um, but the fact that Bruce is still there and this will be his thousandth game, I you know, which Steve Bruce one K. <laughs> but the I, I suspect that that will yeah it will it will they won't they won't be able to sort of celebrate properly. I don't think I suppose until until Steve Bruce has been removed. I think they're too he's he's too associated with the previous regime. I remember being at Arsenal Wenger's thousandth game and they lost six one, was it at Chelsea? Six nil. Um Chelsea fans singing Arsenal Wenger, we want you to stay, which was a bit cruel. Um 
It's funny this game because I remember when Newcastle came into the Premier League in 93-94, their first game was, was Tottenham at home and there was a similar sort of fervour. Um, I don't know who this game's Nikos Papivasilou will be, but um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a strange one. I mean, Steve Bruce going to be the, the first manager with a 333.333 book to game ratio after this match. But it as it feels quite cruel because obviously everyone's now openly debating who the next Newcastle manager is going to be. And mm. it's, it, I mean, it must be very odd for a manager to reach such a, a massive milestone and probably suspect that it, it could be his last game for a while. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's going to be like he gets to a, th- a thousand, then that's it. Kind of like a footballing millennium bug where just like the fourth, yeah, fourth figure yeah. just doesn't compute. Yeah, or like a uh, tachometer and it can't cope with that number, so it ticks back over to zero. So, (laughs) sorry, Steve. But um, I do think that the the atmosphere and the kind of the slightly unpalatable them against us vibe will create a really good atmosphere. And and maybe it's a good time to be playing Spurs. I mean, we talked about Harry Kane earlier, but he's now, he's having 1.2 shots from inside the box this season per game. Um, which is way down on what he normally does. I mean, 3.3 in 17-18 in when he was probably at his current peak, I guess. Um, and then even last year was 2.4, so it's halved this season. Um, so, yeah, he needs to he needs to uh, rediscover that form. And I guess Newcastle are now a team that can, you know, theoretically buy Harry Kane. Well, indeed. Imagine that an increasing number of clubs could buy Harry Kane. His valuation surely... <laughs> Uh, dropping down a little bit, given his form so far this season. No goals so far in, in the Premier League, taken off, as you say, by England against Hungary. Matthew Davis asking if Kane is actually the new Shevchenko or Fernando Torres. Goals drying up after a lot of months were spent on a big EPL move, which, of course, in Harry's case, didn't happen. Is it is it a blip, Michael? You were defending him on his, his England record. Do you, do you see something a bit more concerning in his Spurs form? Yeah, I mean, he hasn't looked lively at all. For Spurs, I mean, there seems to be a physical issue there. And I mean, the interesting thing is he thinks there was a gentleman's agreement for him to leave in the summer. And whether there was or not an agreement and whether we think that his career prospects should be dependent on this unspoken or or unwritten agreement. You know, he, he clearly feels wronged by his bosses and therefore isn't turning up every week, so to speak. And I think he has... He's got to the kind of stage where we say, oh, he needs, needs one to go off his backside or whatever, which never happens. It's very difficult to score with your backside. You're better off trying to kick it in. But <laughs> Newcastle, Newcastle keep on conceding penalties. There's only been 16 penalties in the Premier League this season, and Newcastle conceded three of them. So mm. maybe there's a decent chance a penalty comes along. We should point out EFL legend Danny Bullman did score his first professional goal with his backside. So it does happen <laughs> occasionally. Okay. Um, should we also point out that for all the abuse of Steve Bruce, 1,000 games is a huge number of, of, of matches as a manager, no? It's four figures. It certainly is. I mean, that that's quite a career for somebody who I think virtually no fan base anywhere has any respect for. Well, the thing that always makes me laugh <laughs> at Steve Bruce, well, one of the things, is that he's managed Newcastle and Sunderland, he's managed Sheffield Wednesday and Sheffield United, he's managed Aston Villa and Birmingham. Um, he doesn't really mind. He'll just sort of, you know, stroll into any club and, and take them over for a bit. Mm. Um, and he's not, he's not a manager that's terrible. You know, he will get you... A re- he can get you out of the championship, he can keep you up in the Premier League, but you know, obviously the situation at, at Newcastle never really wasn't ideal and he got a lot of flack, I guess, in lieu of Ashley sometimes, but he he clearly isn't a manager that the that the new regime are gonna wanna take them forward. So yeah, I mean I think he, he I don't think he'll he'll stop at a thousand games. I think he'll he'll turn up somewhere else at some point. I mean, he's got from he's got promotion to the Premier League three times. I think twice with Birmingham, one with Hull. So at a certain level, he has done a, a very good job. And I, I think even in general, in terms of keeping teams up, he's done he's done quite well. But certainly, it was odd that he got this job in the first place, considering where he was before in the bottom half of the Championship. And mm. uh, yeah, you can't see him sticking around with the type of players they're bringing in. Who would you who would you um, appoint at Newcastle? Keegan. <laughs> it's funny because I mean when you look at for example Manchester City 
they kind of ramped it up steadily, didn't they? It mm. seems to be quite rare. I mean, even when Chelsea got... So they Mar- had, they had uh, Sparky Hughes, yeah. then they went to Sven... No, 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 he was before. Mancini. He was before. Mancini. Oh, Mancini, and then no, hang on. Where was so Sven was before, yeah. right? Okay, mm. right. So Hughes, then Mancini, then Pellegrini, then Pep. Mm. Yeah, it seems right. rare you get a real superstar in. I mean, even when Chelsea got Mourinho, mm. I know he just won the European Cup, but he, he hadn't actually proven himself at a big, you know, real massive club like that. So I'm not sure mm. they're going to be getting a real superstar in. But some of the names have been. Quite interesting. Steven mm. Gerrard, I think, is the most interesting name, mm. whether it will happen. But, I mean, he's done a really good job at Rangers and could be, yeah, it could be interesting. He could do reverse Dalglish. You could go from Newcastle to Blackburn to Liverpool. Yeah, <laughs> th- th- well, there is a similarity. I mean, I think it's interesting the way Newcastle fans embrace Rafa Benitez so much when he was there in a short period. It feels like there is some kind of similarity in those clubs in terms of understanding the fan base and, and that kind of mm. thing. So... Yeah, you yeah, probably say the same for, for Rangers as well. Similar kind of stature of historic club. I can't imagine Gerard going in there and being quite successful. Mm. 44 Red has a question. It says 44 Red, who do you think will win the Premier League next between Newcastle and Manchester United? Woof, Dom. Hmm. Um, <laughs> United, Newcastle, uh, sorry, Manchester United. <laughs> <laughs> um but I'm not saying that that's going to happen anytime soon. Okay. Man United this weekend are at Leicester. Ooh, Phil Jones Claxon. They're without Raphael Varane and Harry Maguire. Other defensive options include uh, Lindelof Bailey and uh, Scott McTominay, who played at centre for Scotland against Israel the other day. Oh, Leicester are in a rotten run of form. One win in seven games in all competitions. Uh, Leicester are the kind of team that Man United do well against. Is that fair? Uh, they do well. Yeah, they do well against Leicester. They have got a good record against Leicester in the last couple of years. I mean, I think this, the defensive thing is quite interesting because I think Lindelof is, is a pretty good centre-back. I think when you look at the way Manchester United played against the big sides last year, they had a very good run of keeping clean sheets against them. And against big clubs, you, t- you tend to be playing like mobile, intelligent centre-forwards. And, and Lindelof is really quite good at, against those centre-forwards. And the games they've got coming up against Leicester, Atalanta, Liverpool, Tottenham, Atalanta again, Man City. OK, big teams. But I actually think he's more suited to playing against them than he is to playing against like Mikel Antonio or someone like that who's going to kind of physically bully him. I think he's really uncomfortable in those situations. But I don't think it's a bad time for him to get a run of games to be honest I think hmm. I just think he's quite a good player interesting could be up against Jamie Vardy here Duncan Tom Gayton asks do you have a revision for your Vardy number of goals prediction yeah I'm raising it like the Bank of England I, I raise it I examine it every month and if I think it should be raised <laughs> uh, I'm raising it for, from 10 to 11 there may be further alterations during during the season, but I mean, I should point out when I said Vardy would score fewer than ten goals this season. Right, loads of people said that's really obviously hardly scored any last season from open play. So mm. you know, people were saying I'd gone too too optimistic, but yeah, he is playing pretty well. I say with gritted teeth. Okay, Leicester hosting Man United Saturday at three o'clock. At the same time, a little bit further south, Norwich will take on Brighton. Norwich still looking for their first win. Also, still looking for their third goal of the season. They've only had two Premier League goals uh, thus far in seven matches, both scored by Temo Puki, who, just let me crowbar this stat in, scored twice on Tuesday against Kazakhstan for Finland, becoming his nation's all-time top scorer, overtaking Yari Litmanen. Well, that's remarkable, isn't it? That is good. I mean, yeah, especially when you consider that Litmanen's international career was so long he played in four decades he played in the 80s the 90s the 2000s and the 2010s so to go above someone who was there for that long yeah fair play what about Norwich Brighton then will Norwich get their first win of the season and Michael you were talking about Brighton you you wrote a long piece about them recently about not their xg but their xga and how that's the real key to the difference for them this year yeah although when you look at those underlying stats, actually, they're basically just playing as well as they were last year and they've got a slightly lucky break here and there. Um, thought they were fortunate to get a point against Palace. 
the Leicester game, I think there was a couple of disallowed goals. Yeah, I, I don't think they've been that much better than last year. The thing that I've been impressed with them about is they lost Ben White, you know, probably the biggest player that they've lost, certainly in terms of transfer who received. And they just brought back Duffy from loan and he slotted in like he like he used to play very well for them. I just think that's it's gone really well, you know. I expected them to maybe get a slightly obscure player from France or Dutch League or something, but they've just gone for someone tried and tested and he's been excellent, Duffy. He's, he's scored at least one goal. He's been a real threat of set pieces and um, and defensively has looked pretty good as well. Mm, could be a danger at Carrow Road this weekend. Hey, Dom, what about Palace then? You have to wait till Monday night for the Eagles' next fixture, and it's an interesting one, hey? At Arsenal, which means Patrick Vieira back at his old club for the first time as a visiting manager. Yeah, one of the rarer, rarer times that he's, he's been back at all, I think. I don't think he's been a regular back at Arsenal over the, over the years. It'll Does mean a lot to in- him. Does he not enjoy very good relations with his former club after his departure? I think there was a there was an issue where he was quite put out at how little effort Wenger. I mean, Wenger's team just wasn't really interested in getting him around the club, which I think he was a bit put out by. I think also before that, when he was sold to Juventus, which you know it's going to upset anybody, but he previously turned <laughs> down a move. At least in his version, he turned down a move to Real Madrid because he wanted to stay and finish his career at Arsenal, only to find about a year later that he was heading to Turin. It was strange that wasn't it? Because there was a period for about four or five years, it seemed, that every summer the big story was the Patrick Vieira leaving Arsenal transfer saga every year. And then I think it got to a point where he actually went, ah, I think I will stay. And then Wenger was like, yeah, no, bye. So, yeah, it is, it's not the same as it is when, you know, Henri goes back a lot and Bergkamp goes there and he hasn't quite got the same cachet, I guess. But I, I quite like the fact that Arsenal have embraced hybrid working because they're in the office Monday and Friday next week um, because they play Villa on Friday night. So it's just, you know, good. It feels funny, doesn't it? That I mean, it's 16 years since Vieira left Arsenal. It still feels like quite a recent familiar thing. But I mean, he, he never played at the Emirates. Well, not as an Arsenal player. I think he maybe went back once with Manchester City. But it's been mm. so long ago. And of course, it's a, a, a clash between two managers who kind of came through the Manchester City managerial development school for want of a better phrase so um mm. it's quite interesting uh, palace are really interesting this year i mean in terms of the the change in style and the results haven't quite been there the only win has been against tottenham side when all three goals came against 10 men so they're still really looking to convince in terms of results but yeah this game should be quite fun all right with a win they'll go level with arsenal that'd be nice hey dom that would be Fantastic. They've only ever won once at the Emirates um, since since Arsenal moved there. They they are playing well. They're they're far more aggressive and progressive now, and and they'll be more attack minded going to to Arsenal. But yeah, as as Michael says, I mean, it's, they've only won one game in in eight matches against Premier League opposition this season, including the the League Cup, and it's still very much a yeah, work in progress. They're just, they're just trying, trying to find the the right balance and and uh, the right combinations. But look, I'm, Michael Elise might get his first start, and he was superb when he came in against Leicester. And I think I think that will make a big difference. Eberichieze is back in in mm. training now, so he, he I, I don't think he'll be on the bench. But I mean, he's he's very close to a return to the setup, and that will make a big difference as well. All right, Arsu had that slight uptick in in results of late, but against, perhaps, easier teams facing a bit of a test Monday night. In terms of emotional returns, though, hard to look past the game, 2 o'clock Sunday afternoon, Everton taking on West Ham. Let's conclude uh, this part with a few thoughts on the David Moyes derby. Emotional, Duncan? Um, Yeah, very emotional. Um, I think it's quite interesting, this game, because a lot of people kind of assume that... um, that Moyes is just kind of repeating what he did at Everton at West Ham. But West Ham are playing quite um, constructive football this season. They've got quite a high XG from open play in terms of sequence, passes per sequence. They're kind of up there with Liverpool and Leicester and Brighton in, in, in terms of that. So they're not playing like Moyes' Everton did. So whereas Rafa Benitez has got Everton playing very much like Moyes' Everton did, a lot of counter-attacking. So I think it's 
it's going to be quite an interesting clash of stars, which you might not expect this game to be. Hmm. Yeah, it's they feel like quite similar managers in a way. I think Benitez and Moyes. You could probably say their heyday was roughly around the same time. For 2005, that was when Benitez won the European Cup, and of course the year that um, Moyes actually managed to get Everton to finish ahead of him in the table. Difficult, really, to judge. I suppose based upon the Merseyside derbies, which are always quite fierce and frenetic, but always quite entertaining. Well, certainly dramatic games between these two managers. So yeah, it's a funny weekend. There's there's lots of games that are potentially good without there being a real standout super big six game. But I think it's quite a lot of quality across the board in terms of the the ten matches this weekend. Yeah, I was thinking this a few days ago. There's as you say, there's no like massive game, but there's also no game where you look at it and think yeah, that's definitely going to be last on on match of the day. They, it's like every single match this weekend has got a bit of a storyline or a bit of a you know old manager or yeah. or old players going back or some sort of other story. Mm. So. It's um, it's a really good set of games to come back to. All right, I I, I say Norwich Brighton is last on match of the day, Duncan. Right, but strong competition from Villa Wolves for me. Although there is that kind of local derbiness to to that fixture. I, I I'm really enjoying watching Villa. I think there are there've been a, another breath, breath of fresh air in it all. It's the the attacking play, the 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 three at the back, the uh, the options they've got up top. I'm I'm waiting for some of their new signings to properly explode onto the scene, but they they look. They look good, and Wolves, in fairness, have, now that Raúl Jiménez is is scoring again, and and Huang's been a bit of a, a revelation in the last few weeks. I, I, that that could be quite a decent game adventure. Would you say the same about Saints Leeds? Just to finish off, since we're here, again, and, and uh, you know, <laughs> Leeds will never be last to match of the day because they're so they're brilliant to watch, absolutely brilliant to watch, and. And with Southampton sort of striving for that first win of the season, there's a that's a bit of intrigue there as well in in, in terms of in terms of that match. But, but I, I, I you know Rafinha has been magnificent. I'd watch him every week. He's he's just a a delight and, and uh, a real threat. So you mm. know, that that will be in itself another great game. I don't know what's going to be like. It's going to have to be Norwich Brighton, isn't it? Well, we'll see. Just on the subject of Rafinha. Only Salah, Mane and Antonio have had more shots than him in the Premier League this season. How many goals has he actually scored, though? Is that a kind of perennial issue with him? No, he's, he's scored at least two, has he? Maybe three. I mean, he's he's got a great shot, hasn't he? Like a really whippy yeah. first-time mm. shot with his left foot. Uh, yeah, I think he's he's brilliant. Talking of whippy with feet, this will obviously be the first um, Premier League game James Will Prowse has missed for, for ages. Ooh. Since twenty eighteen. Um, because obviously suspended, but he had, he was on a run, I think it was a hundred consecutive Premier League appearances before getting sent off. So at least right. he kept it round. Okay, I can confirm that Rafinha has scored a, a very a respectable three goals so far in the Premier League. Uh, this season and the potential for, for more of that kind of thing at St Mary's Saturday afternoon from three o'clock. Uh, Everton, who we mentioned, are taking on West Ham Sunday at two, have won their first three games at home uh, this season for the first time ever in the Premier League. They haven't won their first four home fixtures since the start of the 78-79 campaign. Wow, Crikey. that's amazing, that. Right. Only Burnley have made fewer passes than Everton in the Premier League this season. What does that mean? I don't know. Well, during that quite long Moyes era, they did always start slowly, didn't they? They had a real mm. thing where they had a bad start to the season and then came on strong after Christmas. So You'd have thought they'd have done it when they were winning winning titles in the 80s. Though. You'd have thought they'd have started well at Goodison Park. Yeah, that is true. That is mm. true. All right. What did you say? There's a potential uh, for some rich entertainment in all the fixtures uh, this weekend in the Premier League. Very shortly, uh, we'll be getting another question or two and talking about some of the other stuff from midweek. First, though, it's time for some odds. Carl Monaghan joins producer Charlie. Yes, hello, listener. What a lovely aperitif the international break was before the return of the Premier League, which begins with Watford up against unbeaten Liverpool on Saturday lunchtime. Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power. Will it be a happy return for Ranieri? Not even the bounce that comes with a new manager can save Watford here, Charlie. And that's because Mo Sana may as well be wearing a red cape and a blue suit at the moment. His run on subsequent finish versus City displayed his superhuman capabilities. And that new and approved contract offer must only be just around the corner for the pool's most valuable asset. 
And that's that old Charlie Salas goal record against Watford. is outrageous with eight goals scored in his six appearances against them. Mo Salah to score first is 21-10 to 10 and will fly off the shelves this weekend. But have a look at Salah to score two or more goals at 5-2 to two if you are looking to cash in on his scorching hot form in front of goal. In terms of the match betting, Charlie, we price Watford up at 8-1. to one. The draw is 4-1. to one. And a Liverpool win is odds-on at 3-10. to 10, No surprise there. Ranieri may well have to wait for that first win in his new job. Later in the day, we've got Man City versus Burnley at the Etihad. As we've been discussing, it's always 5-0 to City. Carl, without wishing to be disrespectful to Dyche, what are the odds on another 5-0? Yeah, Charlie, like you touched upon, Man City's last four home games against Burnley in all comps have finished 5-0. And we've priced that scoreline up as a 13-1 to one shot. In terms of the match betting, Man City are unbackable, Charlie. No surprises. They're 10-1 to one on. The draw is 8-1. to one, And Burnley are 20-1 to one for the upset. Sean Dyche's men are stuck in a bit of a rut, Charlie. They are winless in their last 10 league games with three draws and seven defeats. With Newcastle all set to hit the January sales aggressively, Sean Dyche's special survival skills will be well and truly put to the test this season. The Clarets currently are odds on a 4-5 to five to be relegated, while the newly rich Newcastle are a 13-8 to eight shot to go down. In terms of your weekend, Akado, have a look at Man City minus 2 on the spread at 11-10. to 10. And in terms of a goal score, how about Phil Foden? He's looked back in devastating form for club and country, and he's 9-2 to two to be the first goal scorer. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate. At the time of recording, it's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when that fun stops, stop. Uh, His uh, team, Maya, not the much-missed Brazilian recording artist, I think. But anyway, he says, please give a a mention to Canada. Could qualify for the World Cup for the first time in decades. Incredible performance last night. Yeah, 4-1 win for the Canucks. And uh, they are now, looking at my table, third in the group behind Mexico and USA. Only a point behind their arch rivals from the other side of that border. Crikey. Mm-hmm. They're the three countries that will host the next World Cup after the next one, aren't they? So Brilliant. Canada tick. Women's Champions League was taking place midweek. Chelsea took on Juventus, beat them 2-1. Curiously, that was the only one of the four games on Wednesday that didn't end 5-0. Uh, oh, you saw, I know, Michael, you enjoyed the the previous game for Chelsea in the Women's Champions League against Wolfsburg, that 3-3. You called it a 10 out of 10, as I recall. Yeah, it was brilliant. Really, really good game. Chelsea just dominated it, but also managed to concede three absolutely ridiculous goals. Where I think a Chelsea player would have got the assist for all three Wolfsburg <laughs> goals, if that makes sense. It was, no, it was... A very, very good game. But the whole... I mean, this is the first time they've had a, a group stage in the Champions League. And it's it's been really exciting. It feels a little bit like the old school Champions League because there's only, uh, what, four groups of four. And mm. it feels like the quality... I mean, having three five nils isn't particularly great. But it feels like you do get more matches between the bigger sides. Um, and Chelsea's group is really interesting. I mean, them, Wolfsburg and Juventus all going for it. So, big, yeah, big win for Chelsea last night. Pinel Harder got the winner. Um, so, she's gone up in my estimations having previously been quite low because I cycled past her last week we were both on bikes and I said oh. I said hi and she didn't acknowledge me so maybe she was out of breath Are you cycling past her suggests that fitness is a no no so we were going opposite directions oh we were, we were passing I see. one another so the window of opportunity for her to respond to this random person do you know her have you spoken to her before no no okay. but like if you see if you say if I see any footballer going past I would say on a bicycle. I did the same to um, Wimbledon right back last year. Uh, I've forgotten his name because I saw him twice in a row, and I saw him in his track in his Wimbledon tracksuit with the squad number on. So I looked up who he was, and then I saw him again, and I said, "All right, Luke, whoever his name was," and he said, "What did he do?" He just said hello. Was he cycling? Was he walking? Uh, No, he he was. He was jogging. This was um, mm. first lockdown. You were on lockdown. foot as well? No, I was cycling at that point as well. Right. But uh, if I see any football-related person and I cycle past them, I will say hello. Which um, footballer have you bumped into, coincidentally, Dom or Duncan? I've got a couple, actually. I'm quite excited to reveal. Not at a stadium. You can't yeah, like stadium, out in, you know, in out the IRL. Out of contact IRL. footballers. Yeah. Yeah. 
bumped into Wayne Hennessy in the checkout queue at Morrison's. All right, was he trying to attract someone's attention? All right, <laughs> he kept dropping all the all the, all his all his groceries. Well, I think I've mentioned this story before, but when I was a kid, right. um, a Wiccan player tried to sell me and my mum some fish. He was going door to door selling fish, and he and I didn't live that near Wickham. I think he'd gone out of the Wickham area to further north to Northamptonshire, right. so he didn't get recognised. And I recognised him, and he looked really up really annoyed and angry um and i didn't have the jurisdiction to buy fish because i was a child but i right I are you sure ran. it was him duncan did you say it, it are 100% you percent him i was like are you dennis green the wickham striker and he said yes do you want to buy fish or not and and i said, <laughs> I, and I said no no but then i panicked and asked my mum. she's like yeah we can buy some fish if it if it helps um so i ran around the streets looking for him i never saw him again um, I did see him again playing for Wickham, but I didn't see him selling fish again. It's it's always haunted me a little bit. I, I always think because I I have a bloke that comes up our road every probably every two months selling fresh fish, and it seems mm. like quite time consuming to knock on everyone's door, ask, mm. and then yep. go and get the fish if needed. Whereas in the summer, when the ice cream van comes, he just puts on the tune, and everyone comes ah. coming. Are only ice cream vans allowed to play a specific jingle to alert? No, but you to it does raise a question: that which a, which yeah. noise would you would you have a, a fish van? What song would they play, Michael, to attract the fish loving uh, folk to their wares? Um, Something I, a shanty, perhaps, as has been popular of late. Yeah, that would work. But if he just mm. if he just parked in the middle of the road, turned that mm. on, anyone who wanted mm. fish could come out. Yeah. Save him a lot Absolutely. of time. I agree. It makes they a lot of sense. They could go down the rag and bone method. You know, the rag and bone man just shout, like that. Right. Like, Get your fish. If you are an itinerant uh, fishmonger, then take Michael's idea on board because I, I think it's a winner. Uh, Duncan, your I, story having, about... I, having thought about it, that would be quite irritating now. I, I've, I've decided I don't, want, I don't want a van midway up my road playing fish songs. So, Oh, it could be a song by Fish of Marillion. You know, like Kaylee, for example. I'd like that. Never get tired of hearing that one, randomly, in the middle of the day. I once bumped into uh, Kevin Keegan Kevin Keegan at the checkout in B&Q in Altrincham when he was manager of Manchester City and he was buying planks. <laughs> it writes itself. Um, crikey. OK, I, I, have, I have Hidetoshi Nakata and Tony DiRigo and also Joe Cole, bizarrely, in Knightsbridge once. But none of them come anywhere close to Wickham Striker selling, selling fish, fish, so I think we'll just leave them there. What was Nakata uh, doing? He was trying on clothes in a menswear shop. That sounds about as right. As was I, actually, and I was really surprised when he drew back the curtain and revealed that it was star of Perugia and Roma, Hidetoshi Nakata, and, of course, Japan. What a player. Oh, on the subject of, you know, players of that era, here's a tweet from Graham Pascoe who says, can you give a shout out to Antonio Di Natale on his birthday yesterday, who I share it with. Oh, happy birthday, Graham. A best forward asks Graham to never have played for one of the seven sisters. I bet you're a huge Di Natale fan, Michael. Yeah, uh, he was a brilliant player, a brilliant player. And I loved how he... He changed his game. He, he only really became prolific. I mean, that level of prolific relatively late in his career. Um, mm. Yeah, no, it's a, a good question, but I do think a slight excuse um, for that listener to be wished happy birthday. But I do right. hope he does have a happy birthday. Or did, or did. did um, yeah. And is that also quite a good excuse for me saying that if you'd like a further exploration of the extraordinary career of Toto Di Natale, goal scorer, cafe magnet, uh, then you can you can find a Golazzo, I think from some time ago. I mean, if you look on your podcast provider and you search Golazzo episodes, there's one definitely all about Di Natale in there and with uh, myself and Gab Marcotti and James Horncastle. So, yeah, next time you have a quiet hour, that's there for you. Uh, also available, uh, quickly to mention, the Offside Rule podcast out today. And, of course, that's all over the midweek Champions League action and the Totally Football League show is out this Thursday as well, looking ahead to the return of the Championship this weekend, which includes the South Wales Derby, Swansea-Cardiff. By the way, listener, if you answered 
200 miles for the distance between the Faroe Islands and Scotland. You are absolutely correct. Duncan, you were some way off. Well, I would say my guess was reasonable. And also, I didn't say I was going in a straight line. I'm, I'm on a, fair, a Faroe's fishing vessel that's having to do a few stops on the way. Doing some so. of that one-way fishing that, that Dom mentioned. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so... Also, if you're interested, uh, Chris Wood has been in Bahrain and Curaçao, which is two quite big trips. They are big trips. Quite nice ones as well. Mm. Very good. All right, then. Well, lovely to have you with us today, Michael and Dominic and Duncan and producer Charlie. And you, listener, don't need to tell you your name. Uh, We will return on Monday morning uh, with our reaction to all of that stuff, etc. and so on. For now, though, very warm and heartfelt. Have a great weekend to you all. And from all of us here, goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.